Good morning. Would you please join me in our corporate prayer? Heavenly Father, we come before your throne of grace with praise and thanksgiving, celebrating that you have called us to be your disciples and that you have loved us so deeply. We pray this morning that you will create within each of us clean hearts and renewed and steadfast spirits. Do not cast us away from your presence and restore within us the joy of salvation made possible through faith in Jesus Christ. Sustain us and teach us, Lord, for we know that through your laws we will see our great sin and the need for your perfect righteousness. Holy God, we rejoice this morning over the miraculous gift of life that you have given to Graham Patrick Thomas. We pray for parents Anne and Patrick that you will sustain them and encourage them as they raise Graham Patrick and Sister Winnie in the nurture and admonition of our Lord. We pray again for Ben and Rebecca Griffith and for RUF ministry at Sanford. We lift up the students at Sanford. We lift up our covenant children, our youth, our college students who are returning to school, who may be beginning a new school year in a new place. Give each of them strength and wisdom to acknowledge you in all things, that you will make their path straight in the year ahead. On this blessed morning, we give you special thanks for our missionaries who are advancing your kingdom here at home and in faraway places where the name of Jesus Christ is not yet known. We thank you again for the team that went to New Hampshire, for Jeremy and the others, and for little Kaiser and his family. We just pray that your blessings will be upon them. We lift up our missionary partner, Ellen Barnett, serving with Mission to the World in Mexico. Use Ellen and her ministry in a mighty way so that the people of Mexico will come to know your voice as their chief shepherd. Father, even in the midst of our joy over an abundance of blessings from your mighty hands, we are mindful of all those in our church family and communities who are suffering, who are sick, who are coping with loss. We grieve this morning with Kathy and Bo Bird over the loss of Kathy's father, for Dan and Mary Beth McCrary over the loss of Dan's father. May the Holy Spirit comfort them and their families during this time. We know from your prophet that even in the midst of all such adversities, you, O God, will one day come again. The eyes of the blind will be opened. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. The lame will leap like a deer. The tongue of the mute will shout for joy, and salvation will break forth like waters over the scorched land. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, prepare us now, prepare our hearts to hear your word preached. We give thanks and pray for Robbie that you will speak through him. May the words of his mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. For you, O Lord, are our great rock and our unfathomable redeemer. All these things we lift up to you in the holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The last two Sundays, and then today, we've been remembering together our church's vision statement. We gather, grow, and go in Christ Jesus into all things. Um, The church has been doing that uh, since Jesus Christ was crucified and raised again on the first day of the week 
uh, the church uh, throughout the ages and across the globe, what God's people do is they gather in God's presence. They grow by God's promised grace and his presence and his spirit. And the church has been a church, an agency of going uh, throughout the history of the church. And so when we say that we gather, we grow and we go in Christ Jesus, actually our vision statement is quite vanilla. It isn't special or unique to us. It's just what it means to be God's people. We gather in God's presence. We grow in God's grace. We go in the name of Christ Jesus to make him known to the nations. But for some reason, I've been preaching this series on we gather, uh, grow, and go in Christ Jesus from Leviticus. And if you thought uh, that was a mistake two or three times, I've only thought it was a mistake two or 14 times over the last couple of weeks. Um, but I, I'm enjoying it. But uh, there have been moments where I thought, why in the world did I do this? And so yesterday was one of those moments. And that's what happens. I don't know if you ever, you know, preach or do public speaking, but often it's the day before uh, that you have these, these uh, concerns. And so yesterday I was thinking, why did I do gather, grow, go through Leviticus? Like really, what, what was I thinking? So what I did was I turned on a podcast to listen to Jay Sklar talk about Leviticus. I was like, I just want to be encouraged by how great Leviticus is. So Jay Sklar, uh, he's a member of our denomination. He teaches at Covenant Theological Seminary. He's an Old Testament professor. And the focus of his research is the book of Leviticus. So I was like, surely Jay will say something great. And then in that uh, podcast where he was talking about how important Leviticus is, he told the following story. He wanted to illustrate how important Leviticus is for understanding the whole Bible. So he told a story about some missionaries that went to Papua New Guinea. Now, this, these are recent trips to Papua New Guinea, but they were still going to a people group that had never heard of the Bible, never heard the gospel, uh, didn't know the Bible at all, had not, had, hadn't heard of the one true God. And they were going there. And so when the, when the missionaries went to this tribe, you know, first they learned the culture, they learned the language. And once they learned the culture and the language, they decided they wanted to explain the message of Christianity. And they realized they needed to start with the Old Testament. They started with the Old Testament because they wanted the people they were speaking to to know that there was one true God who had made all people from all places. And they wanted those people to understand that they were made in God's image and that God had good and important work for them to do. And they wanted them to know about human rebellion and sin. And they wanted them to know about God's promises of redemption. They wanted them to hear all that before they got to the New Testament. And so it would make the message of Jesus more clearly. As a matter of fact, as they went through the Old Testament and they spent a long time, day after day, week after week, kind of telling the big story of the Bible. And when they went through the Old Testament, every time they got to sacrifices, or lots of times when they got to sacrifices, they would just stop and say, hey, we want you to know, to know something. God has made a way for people who trust in him to receive forgiveness through the sacrifice of a blameless lamb. And they just said it over and over again as they went through the story. God has provided a way through the shed blood of a blameless lamb uh, for his people to experience his forgiveness. They just kept kind of repeating that as they went through the Old Testament story. It's often in Leviticus. Well, anyway, they finally get to the New Testament and they get to the New Testament. They're just telling the stories and they, they spent the whole week just telling stories about Jesus and Jesus became the hero of that village. They couldn't believe how great he was. They heard about his compassion and his courage, his love and his wisdom, his power to do big miracles and his tenderness with people who were weak and lonely and sick. They just heard the real stories about Jesus and their hearts swelled with the hero. He was just the hero of the village for a week. And at the end of the week, they had to tell the stories of his trials and his crucifixion. Well, there was a neighboring village where 
a, a different tribe. And those people, many of them had already become believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. So they went and got people from that tribe and they acted out the very end of Jesus' life. They acted out his trials and they acted out his crucifixion. And as they begin to witness this, the, the, this tribe who had never heard the biblical story before, and they'd been celebrating Jesus, their heroes, they're listening and watching them act out that Jesus was treated so badly in his trials. They were just beside themselves. There's like, why, why, who would treat the hero like this? He's innocent. He's blameless. He's done nothing wrong. And they just couldn't believe they were, they were so confused why people would mistreat the hero so badly. And then, uh, they had, they acted out the crucifixion scene. And so there was a man who acted in the role of Jesus and he was wearing a shirt and they took him and they acted out a crucifixion and then they took, uh, uh, a plastic bag and put it behind his shirt and they filled it with liquid and red dye and they acted out a crucifixion scene and they had another guy act out a soldier and when the actor soldier came up and pierced him with the spear you can imagine what happened the 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 red liquid began to bleed through his shirt and the missionaries have said you could see on just a few faces like the 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 meaning the truth the reality began to dawn on their faces But then they kept acting out the scene and they came and they carried that actor's body, uh, Jesus. They carried him and put him in the tomb and they told about how he was buried. And they told about how, but on the third day, and then that same person comes out of the tomb and they talk about his resurrection. And at just that point, when they're talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, one of the missionaries stands up and says, Jesus is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And all of a sudden they got it. And all over the village, people began to stand up and say, Ita, 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 because in their language, Ita means I believe. All over, Ita, 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 Ita. They heard, they saw, they believed the good news about Jesus Christ, that he was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then in that tribe, the way you show joy was to stand up and jump and just keep jumping up and down. And so a couple people started jumping up and down and this is how Jake Sklar describes it. The whole village basically became, the whole tribe became a mosh pit of joyful new believers jumping up and down with one another, kind of like Presbyterian worship. <laughs> so it, it, it might, even though I've, I've had my doubts, maybe it makes a lot of sense to, Think about the gospel of Jesus Christ and use the book of Leviticus. This whole book about how, how sinners draw near and have fellowship with God, even though he's holy and we're sinful. How God is ultimately going to provide for forgiveness for those who believe in him. And today we're going to talk about how we go in Christ Jesus using Leviticus 26 and borrowing a little bit from Colossians 1. Before I read the passage, printed for you there. On page 12, you can look in your Bible, Leviticus 26, or on page 12 of your worship guide. I just want to tell you the outline of Leviticus 26 because we have representative passages from the different sections. So Leviticus 26, 1 through 13, Yahweh says, hey, if you obey me, my covenant people, there's blessings, blessings for covenant obedience in verses 1 through 13. And we're going to read verse 3 and 4 from that section. In 26, 14 to 39, Yahweh lets them know there'll be great misery for covenant breaking disobedience. If they don't walk with him in obedience and faithfulness, they'll experience misery. That's 26, 14 to 39. We're going to read verses 14 to 16 of that section. But the final section is about the deep, deep mystery of the covenant. Chapter 26, verses 40 to 46. We'll read that whole section. 
And so let's give our attention to this selected reading from Leviticus 26. Yahweh said, if you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, then I will give you your rains and their season and the land shall yield its increase and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. But if you will not listen to me and will not do all these commandments, if you reject my statutes and if your soul hates my rule so that you will not do all my commandments, but break my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will visit you with panic, with wasting disease and fever that consume the eyes and make the heart ache. And you shall sow your seed in vain for your enemies shall eat it. But if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers and their treachery that they committed against me and also in walking contrary to me so that I walked contrary to them and brought them into the land of their enemies, if then their uncircumcised heart is humbled and they make amends for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and I will remember my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham and I will remember the land. But the land shall be abandoned by them and enjoy its Sabbaths while it lies desolate without them and they shall make amends for their iniquity because they rejected my rules and their soul hated my statutes yet for all that when they are in the land of their enemies i will not reject them neither will i hate them so as to destroy them utterly and break my covenant with them for i am yahweh their god But for their sake, I will remember the covenant with their forefathers, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations, that I might be their God. I am Yahweh. These are the statutes and rules and laws that Yahweh made between himself and the people of Israel through Moses on Mount Sinai. All flesh is like grass and all its glory is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever Oh, Lord, would you take your perfect and everlasting word and shape our hearts once again. Do it with the good news of Jesus Christ and by your spirit and your word, motivate us to delight in him, to enjoy him and embody him and make him known to our neighbors and the nations through all of life in Jesus' name, amen. So today I want you to see that we go in Christ Jesus. First of all, that we're rescued by grace. Thus we go in Christ Jesus. We're reconciled by grace. So we're going to go into all things in his name and then redeemed by grace. We go into all things specifically in a unique way that fits those who are in Christ Jesus. First of all, I just want to take one verse from this Leviticus 26 passage and show you how it helps us remember that we, as God's covenant people, we go in Christ Jesus. Let me tell you this before I read verse 20, chapter 26, 45 again. Here's what Yahweh said in Leviticus. He also said it in Deuteronomy. He's like, I have loved you and redeemed you. I've brought you to myself. I'm taking you to the land. It's my land. I'm going to give it to you. And you're going to live in that land. And if you live in my presence by faith and obey me, I'm going to bless you richly. But you're not. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to rebel against me. And as a matter of fact, you're going to bow down to gods that you're going to carve with your own hands. You're going to believe that gods that you can make with your own hands are more powerful than me, the creator of heaven and earth, your redeemer. So you're going to turn against me and live in rebellion. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to keep covenant faithfulness. I'm going to kick you out of the land. You're going to break the covenant, but I'm not going to break the covenant is what Leviticus and Deuteronomy both teach us. And now look at chapter 
26, verse 45, this is Yahweh saying what he's going to do after they rebellion and after he kicks them out of the land when they're in exile. Here's what he says. But for their sake, my rebellious people, I will remember the covenant with their forefathers who I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations that I might be their God. I am Yahweh. Two quick points from this verse. Uh, do you see it there? What's God going to do What's, what, when he responds to his people's rebellion and he t- brings them out of exile back to himself? He's going to remember his covenant with their forefathers. Why did God get into a covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the first place? He took one family and he set them us apart for himself and he said i'm gonna bless you and through you i'm gonna bless one third of the families of all of the earth it's not what he said i'm rescuing you by grace i'm gonna bless you and through you and your seed i'm gonna bless all the families of the earth god's purpose has always been to rescue the nations god's all his historical plan has always been to bring the nations to himself and so that's the first part of rescued by grace we go in christ jesus but look at what he says not only am i going to remember that deep covenant i have with your forefathers but that's why i saved your your forefathers from egypt in the first place I saved them from Egypt. I redeemed them out of the darkness of Egypt and brought them to myself in the sight of the nation. So we see in a double way from the Old Testament that God's always had a plan to rescue the nations. And when he saves his people, he does it in the sight of our neighbors in the nations so they too will hear the good news about Jesus Christ. Do you believe that you're forgiven that you've been rescued from the kingdom of darkness and brought in by the grace of God to the kingdom of his own son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Do you believe that? If you believe something so rich and wonderful as that, that God's forgiveness is a free gift to you because you believe in Jesus, the son he sent to pay, pay for your sins, how can you not want your neighbor's and your nations to hear this great message. Secondly, I want to move on and say that we've been reconciled by grace. And this is why we go in the name of Christ Jesus into all things. If you will, turn your Bibles to Colossians 1 or back to page 5 of your worship God. And I just want to put before you how wonderful the Lordship of Christ is and how cosmic God's plans are. If you will... We just said, uh, verse 14, uh, we've been brought to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And look what Paul does. He's just said, you were in a deep, dark kingdom. You've been brought into the, to the, the kingdom of his son. You've got forgiveness. And then what does he go into? He, the son, your savior, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created. Where? In heaven and on earth. Well, what kinds of things? Things you can see and things you can't see. All things. All things were created through him and for him. And then he moves on. He is before all things, verse 17. And in him, all things hold together. Here's part of what I'll say to you about our vision statement that we go in Christ Jesus into all things. Every area of life that you move into if you're, and when I say heart, I don't mean spiritually. Uh, if the heart that's pumping blood through your body is involved in that act- activity, then that activity is something that exists for the glory of Jesus Christ because he's literally sustaining your cardiovascular system uh, every second of every day. 
If he stops sustaining your cardiovascular system, you stop existing. He's, he's sustaining all things. He's the Lord of all things. He was the one for whom all things were made. All things were made through him and for him. And he's before all things and he's sustaining all things. So in every area of life that we go, we, we go into, these are areas that already belong to the creator and the redeemer, Lord Jesus Christ. This means that when you go to work, in some way, you're using gifts that the king gave you for the good of the people around you and his good creation. Maybe you haven't figured it out yet, but that's true. If you're married, your marriage exists for the glory of God, not for your uh, personal satisfaction, but for the glory of God. Jesus Christ created you. Your marriage exists to show Jesus' love between him and his bride, the church. If you're married and you have the privilege of raising children, you're raising children for the glory of God. They are created in God's image and you're raising little image bearers to grow up and magnify the name of Jesus Christ, who's the creator and the sustainer of all things. When you're doing the exhausting labor of loving someone who you've brought into the world, who's giving you zero gratitude and 99% less respect than you deserve. And the opposite of that honor and respect, like the way I treated my parents much of my life. Um, And you're serving those little people who won't eat without you, who won't get to the right places without you, who won't grow and be nurtured without you. When you're doing that, you're doing the Lord's work because you're raising image bearers to grow up and know who they are in God's creation. There's no other world in which they can live. This is God's creation. They were made in his image. They were made to do good works that bring honor to his name. And when you're investing in them, you're doing the good and excellent work that God's rescued you and called you to do. If you're a single person and maybe you wish you had some of those things I just named, and maybe you're glad you don't have the burden of those things. But if you're a single person, what does the apostle Paul tell the church in Corinth? That your, one of your central roles in the body of Christ is to remind all of us who were pulled in so many directions what it's like to have single-hearted devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone in, in the room has good work to do because all things belong to Jesus already. But look how the passage ends. After verse 18, telling us that he's the head of the body of the church, he's won the victory. We, he has a body to implement his victory But then at the end of verse 18, and he, the Lord Jesus Christ, the son of God in our humanity is the beginning of what? The first born from among the dead ones. He's the beginning of the new creation that in all things he might be preeminent for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Jesus is fully God. He added our full humanity to himself and through him, God was pleased through the man, Christ Jesus, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That is God's cosmic purpose. God was pleased through Jesus Christ to reconcile to himself all things. Is Jesus Christ preeminent in your prayer life? Your prayer life will work better if he's, if he's preeminent in your prayer life. Uh, when you come to worship, Jesus Christ should be preeminent. But here, the apostle Paul is saying he's preeminent in all things. And all things exist for him. 
All things are through him and for him. And so that's why uh, we call and encourage one another to take our normal callings seriously as human image bearers rescued by grace to live genuine human lives. I know sometimes you come to church and it sounds like we're just saying 14 more things you ought to be doing. So please hear this. Part of how the, what the church exists to do is to affirm your normal callings and say, Jesus is Lord of all of life. And we're to nurture and encourage you to live the human life. You've been rescued by God's grace to live in his presence and all of life and all things. We don't need you to come to 13 meetings here every week, but we do want to nourish you and strengthen you to live faithfully in the callings you have from God himself. And so finally, uh, let's look at our third point. Redeemed by grace, we go into all things in Christ Jesus. For a minute now, I want to take your attention back to Leviticus 26. Did you hear what Yahweh said up in the section about misery? If you reject my statutes and if your soul hates my rules and if you break my covenant, you're going to experience the misery. Later on, pick up with me down in verse 43. In the middle of that, Yahweh says, they rejected my rules. Their soul hated my statutes. But what does he say? Yet for all that, when they are in the land of their enemies, when I exile them because of their disobedience, they rejected me. They hated me. What does he say? I will not reject them. Neither will I hate them. I will not utterly break my covenant. This is the deep mystery of the covenant. And this reveals to us God's gracious ways. God's historical ways, it's always been his plan to rescue the nations. God's cosmic plan, it's his plan to redeem all things. But here's the heart of God's gracious ways. God looks at his people and says, yes, you have rejected me and you've hated my ways, but I'm not going to reject you and I'm not going to hate you. And so Leviticus 26 leads us right to the cross of Jesus Christ, where Jesus Christ experiences profound rejection, not because He had any filth. No, he was blameless. He was the innocent lamb of God. But when our sin was put on him, when our rejections, rejecting God and his ways was put on him, when the record of our disobedience was put on him, he experienced profound rejection in our place because Jesus experienced in his person the curses of covenant disobedience. Because we had disobeyed, Jesus came and obeyed in our place. He fulfilled the covenant A to Z. And when he had obeyed God perfectly in all of his life, he was treated like a disobedient son. The only obedient son there ever was, was treated like a disobedient son on the cross so that whoever believes in him might have eternal life in his name. Received as obedient children, received as righteous and completely forgiven for all our sins. So this last point is simply this, redeemed by grace as we are. Remember the passage mentioned the the humility of the heart. It's very true. I want us to go tell our neighbors and the nations the good news about Jesus Christ. It's very true. I, I want us to help each other go into all things for the glory of Jesus Christ. But how in the world, what's the posture that God's people will take as we go and tell people, our neighbors and the nations, the good news. And as we move into all things for the honor and glory of King Jesus, we above all people must be the most 
humble people in the room. When we look at any complicated problem in the world, our assumption is at some, at some level, we're probably at fault. How bad am I? I'm so bad. God had to send his son to pay for my sins on the cross. I probably contributed to this problem. Let's see if we can sort it out together. How? The first two points told us where we go. We go to our neighbors and the nations. Where we go? We go into all things for Jesus' saving glory. But this final point tells us how we go. We must go in the deep humility that matches the cross of our Savior. Deeply hopeful to see God bring his redemption, even through our prayers and actions and gracious words. But the kind of humility that fit people who've been rescued by a king on a cross. Let's pray and meet that king at his table that we won't be nourished as his people. Father in heaven, thank you that in love you sent your son for us to rescue us from all the ways we rejected good things and hated you when we were your enemies. Christ died for us. Now we want to share in deep fellowship with him and one another. So strengthen us and nourish us as we draw near. In Jesus' name, amen.